How much is an Arabian horse? Hello and welcome to Exploding Helicopter, the podcast that's desperately in need of a rescue mission. Now there have been many great actor-director collaborations. De Niro and Scorsese, James Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock, John Wayne and John Ford. And there have been many less celebrated cinematic pairings. See anything made by Nick Love and starring Danny Dyer. Falling somewhere in the middle is the creative partnership between Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg. They've now produced four films together, including Deepwater Horizon, Mile 22 and Patriot's Day, with a fifth, Wonderland, due later this year. However, on this show, we're going back to the beginning and their first movie teaming, 2013's Lone Survivor. And talking of couplings between middling movie talents, I'm joined once again by my cinematic Siamese twin. With me on this show is my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Hello, mate. How are you? I'm uh, I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm glad that you can uh, make a rare appearance on the Exploding Helicopter podcast because uh, you know some listeners may be wondering where you've been recently. Do you want to do you want to take a moment to explain to them why I had to send you round? You know why I had to send you to the cinematic subs bench? Uh, you know, I've just got other things to do, Will. More interesting things. And I, frankly, I can only face doing this podcast once in a blue moon. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think it's it's quite as simple as that because, you know, you've, you've been rather tardy. I mean, you know, I get messages from you going, oh, can't find the film. We're going to have to cancel the recording. I've, I will literally make up any excuse. I've, I've manufactured <laughs> an, il- I've, an illness this week. This cough, I've actually... I actually inhaled some obnoxious substances to try and see if I would be sick enough not to do the podcast. But I, I thought, unfortunately, it didn't quite work. I'm only mildly ill enough to uh, strap on a pair of Sennheisers and get on with it, really. But I'll have to work, do harder next time to get, make myself sick. Yeah, well, I'm going to always get my pound of flesh out of you, Dara. So uh, yeah. it doesn't really matter what excuses you make. But, Let's uh, get on with it. Come on. Well, seeing as we're, we're talking about uh, actor-director combos, I wondered if there were any uh, any of those types of collaborations out there that uh, that you might enjoy. Now, I could probably guess what your answer might be, uh, which is probably none. But uh, I thought I'd ask the question anyway. What? Which director would I like to work with or no. which actor would I like to work with? <laughs> Actually, you know what? That is a much more interesting question. What director would you like to work with, Dara? Oh, uh, uh, maybe Paul Verhoeven. I like, <laughs> I like his mix of, of bare breasts, of uh, dystopian future and social uh, satire he's social satire exactly he, he's kind of un unparalleled his uh his enjoyment we got from his films in the 80s he's he kind of has fallen down a bit he's kind of uh left uh what was what was good about his uh, directorial career you think um, well what's he done lately well he did a very good film which is called uh black book about set during the Second World War, uh, about the Dutch resistance. And he did a film, which I know you've seen, but I don't think you particularly like it, called uh, L. Oh, that was the one with the... Uh, with uh, Was that the one where, where Joaquin Phoenix is talking to a... talking to an iPod? <laughs> or something else? No, That's I've, she, I've... isn't it? That's she. That's she. What's... Yeah, L is it's a, it's set in France. It's got uh, I've forgotten the French actress's name, but she is uh, gets uh, horribly raped at the beginning of the movie, and she is then stalked by the person who committed this crime, and then the story sort of gets 
you know, twisted and messed up in a, in a typical. You you have seen it, Dara, have because I? I I had to really. Uh, you were very, you slammed it. You were very dismissive of that particular film, and I'm I, sure I, I was right. I had I'm, to bite I'm my, sure I, right. I had to bite my tongue at the really? obvious ways that you had completely overlooked the film's merits and strengths. I, I find my memory as I get older for films is getting worse and worse, which makes it really good because I can watch a film one week and then almost forget it completely, and about two weeks later and enjoy it again. I'm like a dodgy old pensioner now. <laughs> Terrible. Well, I on. just, I, I just wish that you would forget how much you didn't enjoy taking part in this podcast, because then it would be much easier to get you back on. Well, it's, it's like, it's like pregnancy for women. You kind of, they, they forget how bad it is, and two <laughs> weeks later, they think, oh, well, that, that might be a good idea to that podcast with Will. It wasn't that bad last time. So I don't know. Early onset on Alzheimer's. I don't know what's going on, Will. Okay. Well, I think this is very possibly the worst pre-show handle. <laughs> <but> we... <laughs> That we've ever done. <laughs> I may oh, edit yeah. this entire section out. Yeah, but, uh, edit it all out. Edit let's all get uh, let's get this show let's get this show on track. So I think it's time to get stuck into Lone Survivor. So let's listen to a frankly underwhelming clip from the trailer. Listen up, Red Wings a go. Bad guy, senior Taliban commander. Shaw sure killed twenty Marines last week. Twenty. Going in with a four-man team: Axelson, myself, Deets. Marcus. TV. That's a lot more than 10 guys. That's an army. This op is compromised. This is Spartan Zero One radio chat. Danny, you radio working? The way I see it, we got two options. One, let them go, roll the dice. Second that they run down there, we got 200 on our backs. Two, we terminate the compromise. We cannot do that. I don't care. I care about you. I care about you. I care about you. Not killing kids, not feeling it. This is not a vote. We're gonna cut them loose, and we're going home. Roger that, sir. Lone Survivor came out in 2013. It's the true story of American soldier Marcus Luttrell, who was serving in Afghanistan at the beginning of the early 2000s. He and his team are sent out on a mission to capture or kill a Taliban leader called Ahmed Shah. The mission quickly goes foobar and the team end up having to fight for their lives as they try to escape from their situation. The film was directed by Peter Berg, who, we've, as we've already mentioned, were, has collaborated uh, several times with Mark Wahlberg previously. In the cast are Taylor Kitsch, Emil Hirsch, Ben Foster and Eric Banner. Lone Survivor was generally positively reviewed, although there was some uh, criticisms or more critical reviews of this movie, which we may get into later. But uh, Dara, what did you make of Lone Survivor? As a whole, I actually quite enjoyed the film. Um, for action fans, it is a fabulous watch because the set pieces, there's one extended sort of action sequence in towards the middle of the film when things do send, tend start to go really wrong for the group who are kind of out on a limb in Afghanistan with no support. They're in the mountains and uh, there's no communication, so they can't get back up. And they've got all these Taliban fighters sort of pinning them down on this mountainside it is one of the best sort of action sequences i've seen in a long time you really feel you're a part of you know the gruesome 
game of war mortars are going off left right and center people are getting shot you really get a feel of the kind of um the real tough work that they have to do in these circumstances and you know it's a real it's a real kind of visceral joy however this film is let down by it is a bit one-dimensional it's the characterizations is lacking and uh, it's kind of it is a bit of a heavy-handed uh jingoism and american patriotism starts to wear a bit thin towards the end I, I think you're uh, being uh, potentially being a bit generous towards this film. I'm not even sure it is one-dimensional. It, it may just be uh, completely no-dimensionals. But uh, I do agree with you that uh, there is some really impressive uh, filmmaking uh, within this particular film. And I kind of think of it a bit like a sandwich, whereby you have an absolutely you know, fantastic, really tasty filling. But either side of that, you've got two very underwhelming slices of, of bread. Two uh, soggy bits of bread. Two soggy bits of bread on either side of, uh, mm. of that really very delicious uh, filling. But um, yeah, I mean, exactly like you said, I think the, the, the centrepiece of this film is the, the extended action sequence that, that takes place there. And that is totally gripping. It's absolutely riveting. But... You know, as much as you can enjoy that, and as much as that should be given credit, I, you know, there, there are some, there are some sort of nagging flaws in this movie, and I did think ultimately, what did I, what did I really learn from this movie? I'm, I'm not really sure there are any great takeaways other than war, war is, war is hard, war is, war is nasty business. Uh, yeah, you certainly... real, real, real people. I suppose you forget, you forget that. When wars go on around the world, it's real lives. Our soldiers' lives are at stake and are dying for your, inverted common liberties. Mm. Um, even though there may be other agendas at play that set these wars off to begin with, which is something that's not tackled at all in this film. There's no kind of motivation behind this raid apart from it's the bad bad guy Taliban guys, but we don't know what's going on in that region. There's nothing. Isn't there, there's no kind of I don't know whether, you know, in this sort of film, they've got enough time or energy to kind of explain the, the geopolitics of the well, area. I don't, I don't think that's the point of the movie. No. And I, and I don't think you can lay that at every film that they need to, you know, that every film needs to justify the, the con, true. you know, justify its context. True, that's um, true. You know, there are not, there are other films which seek to do that, seek to question, you know, the validity of a particular conflict or the way in which that that war is being waged. And you know, I think that's a that's a different body of of films. Yeah, let's not forget that this film is based on a book by the actual only surviving party member that crawled out alive. We mentioned it mm. earlier on. Um, I've seen some interviews with him um, where they, he's obviously promoting a film and promoting, but he's written a few books actually. And he is a died in the wall frogman, as they say. And he's very obviously because he's been in it. I think he it's affected him quite, quite substantially. And he is, I suppose, it, it, very difficult for him to be impartial about what's going on. He's very pro American, very pro um, the military, which you would understand being in his position and, and, having had the injuries and that the personal trauma that he's had because of uh, various tours that he's done. We're just coming back to a point that I was making earlier, which was kind of what, 
what did we learn from this film? What was the point of this movie? And after watching this film again, I thought, well, this essentially, it's a tale of survival, isn't it? It's about this guy who, through his training, through his inner determination, is thrown into this horrific nightmare and somehow manages to come through the other side. And as interesting as that is to what... Well, actually, in, I think in Lone Survivor, it's only interesting because of the filmmaking. There isn't anything fundamentally interesting about his survival that is actually fundamentally interesting. And it, another film popped into my head, which I don't know if you've seen, which is that film called... Um, I think it's called 127 Hours, about that guy yes. who gets trapped. Great film. In, in, a, in a... Yeah, gets trapped in um some in a crevasse isn't it? in a crevasse and uh, basically he realizes no one is going to come to rescue him and he then eventually realizes that the only way for him to escape is to cut off his arm and so it's all about the film is about him coming to that decision then about all the steps that he needs to make in order to get through that that particular decision and you know so i guess that film it is a more interesting for me more interesting tale of survival because it sort of asks asks the question of you as the audience you know how far are you willing what are the lengths that you're willing to go to in order to survive in a particular given situation and that character had choices that he could make as to whether he whether he survived or not whereas in this film you know it is not dramatically that interesting yeah it's, it, i think the the action sequences are so realistic i think some of the kind of the peripheral decision making and the thought process into people's motivations has been lost in this film and it's very kind of military regimented it's kind of what happened this is how you got out of it there's no kind of nuances here that you we got in 127 hours a little bit more of a humanity there's almost like the humanity has been removed the only bit of humanity we see really i suppose comes from the fact that they let the um the mm. three um sort of um, goat shepherds goat, goat, goat shepherds free which kind of caused the problem and the fact that they, it was rescued by one of the local villagers at the end who kind of braved everything mm. um to to save the life of an american person even though his own personal you know life would be at risk yeah but the re kind of when the guys are on patrol and the way that they it's all about being part of a team and bonding and kind of being this machine that works through. There isn't really time for sentiment or, or choices. You do what you have to do. So that, that I think makes maybe is part of why this isn't quite as interesting as 127 hours. Yeah, because that scene you mentioned with the, uh, the, the goat herders, it's, it really stands out in the film because it is the sort of one of the very few scenes in this, in this movie where you think oh okay something interesting is is happening here mm. and there's there's you know characters facing a moral quandary and it kind of deals with that in about three minutes and it then gets back to mortars mortars <laughs> yeah i know it's it, it's hard you know i mean i think they've really tried to make an accurate when you kind of i suppose when you're dealing with a true story you've got that pressure of honoring you know, not just, especially if one that's involved death, honouring the people that have died and you've got people who are alive who are going to watch it and unless you really don't care. But if they're involved in the in the kind of creative process, you do have to watch what you do a little bit more than just sort of a fantasy story. Mm. Well, let's talk about the lengthy action sequence, which is at the middle of this film. And when I first watched this film, it was this part of the film that really impressed me. I, I thought it was one of the best depictions of combat I've seen in a movie. I mean, it's tense, it's gruelling. I mean, it's a very tough to watch. I mean, is that the sort of impact that it had on you? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you do, you get that feel of a, a continuous onslaught. They're absolutely under a barrage of you know enemy fire, RPGs, all sorts of stuff, and they're pinned down. They can't really get out. They're getting shot to pieces. The camera work. They, I think he decided to do like uh, it was a digital cinematography. So you do get that kind of almost uh, handheld, like you're one of the party that's then yeah. Know, going along for the for posterity that you're you're sort of viewing this so and the and the stuntmen uh there's some of the stunts in this oh we've got to salute the stuntmen on this movie absolutely incredible i don't think i've ever seen people like properly bouncing off rocks apparently several were injured because they couldn't control some of no, the pool. I'm surprised. There's, some, there's some big some big hits that they take in it and you know stuntmen's union uh hats off to you because this one I don't remember one as brutal as this. And that's part of the realism of this film. You do really feel that you're in a, a, a gunfight. Um, uh, and it is an amazing watch. And it is the, the, you know, the sort of saving grace of the film. And I think what really heightens the action sequences is the the, the editing, uh, both of the of the camera work, but also the sound editing as well. Because you feel, I mean, the, the, the kind of the most, I guess impactful certainly for me moment of those action sequences where the soldiers are they're backed into a corner and they basically have to make this decision to essentially jump off the side of a mountain and oh, yeah. you know they, they they tumble down it and the way that 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 particular sequence is cut not just visually but also the sound of it you just you you hear every time they smash into some boulder or break a bone or, or, or break a bone or some tree that is on the way down you really it, the way that that sequence is cut together you just feel every single one of those blows yeah i mean um during the filming of this apparently peter berg was going for realism throughout um and uh he, he says it was a mistake but apparently mark Wahlberg's one of the first times he's ever gone mental on on set um one of the mortars actually went off near his face about two seconds before it was supposed to and you know he's had problems apparently mm. uh in the past with metal fragments in his eyes so he's like massively sensitive to explosions and stuff and he it, it was a mistake apparently but um before this realism obviously the mortars are very close to the actors this one went off slightly uh, earlier than it should have been and uh you know it was he was very lucky apparently not to get injured well, let's have a, a, a bit of a chat about the, the, the kind of the, the characterization in this film, because I think one of the one of the criticisms that does does come up uh, in terms of uh, the reviews of this movie is the I guess the flimsiness of uh, the, the characters in this movie. And, you know, I think it's definitely true. Uh, I think Mark Wahlberg as Marcus Luttrell, there's no real there's no real arc to his character. He's no different at the end of this film that he was at the start despite all that he's gone through and yeah it does it does i think especially now that i've watched this film a few times it does hurt the repeat viewability of this movie that you know you're just kind of waiting for the the good action sequences at the in the middle of the film and at either end of it it's just you know it's just thin gruel for you as a as a film viewer there's no background to the characters really i mean they've obviously the idea is to sort of portray them as a band of brothers and you get that, but there's been loads of films where you've had a band of brothers, but each character has unique personality or one of them's a funny guy or, you know, something to sort of differentiate. They're all kind of, they're all a bit faceless, aren't they? Mm. It's not a huge amount to, to differentiate between the characters. There's no sort of backstory really to any of them. So you, you don't know what motivates them to do the. To... Well, I mean, the film kind of tries that a little bit. I mean, it it's sort of like you get one of them has a pregnant wife, one of them is about to get married, but that is literally it's, it's apart from those seconds. apart from those solitary details, you learn 
nothing else about these characters and so they just become oh yeah pregnant guy and you know wedding guy i mean i guess i guess maybe the thought process was if you start doing cut shots of flashbacks to mm. you know their time uh, in the u.s or other it will take you out of that you know very intense moment that they're in so we're not going to do that we're just going to concentrate on this kind of you know the tough journey that they've had to do so maybe that was the reason but i don't know you, you, like i think there were some wasted opportunities though because so for you know for instance in the, that first 20 minutes of the movie they spend at least five minutes establishing this new guy who is being oh, yeah. inducted into the seals and, and he plays just he just disappears he plays absolutely no part in the rest of the film so you know they had the time to to mess around with you know yeah. with that character that that is time that could have been that was spent like some of the, that was actually some of the best bits you thought that but you know they're just trying to bring out the characters of the, of the individuals mm. and the hazing and stuff like that you know because i was waiting for him because you know the the sort of the natural thing is you think oh yeah he's then going to be on the mission and this yeah, is going to be jump his... out of the helicopter and save him or something like that yeah and you sort yeah. of you're waiting for him to come back into the movie and he, he never he never so comes back it's a complete red herring apparently this film was they shot about two and a half hours worth of stuff so they've really edited it down mm, okay. like another one of these things where we pick through the bones of a film and try and work out what film it might have been in the beginning well, if you read reviews of this movie, one of the things that comes out in some of the more critical reviews is various writers, you know, attributing uh, a certain kind of pro-military syrup, a certain jingoistic propaganda message behind this particular this particular film. I mean, is that something that you saw in this movie? I mean, to be honest, it's kind of there, but I don't think it's really... It just feels like dressing round the sides. It doesn't really feel that that is the central thematic core of this movie. So I kind of get that criticism, but equally, I'm actually not sure that it's wholly valid. I've seen worse. Let's put it like that. I've seen, you know, I can't remember, but there's one film which had the American flag sort of fluttering in the breeze as the last shot. Yeah, it didn't have that sort of, you know, <laughs> ridiculous kind of schmaltz. Like it, what it, uh, it, oh, well, it, it does have it does have like video footage of all of the people who were killed in this particular missi- uh, mi- mission uh, being shown as a, a a very lachrymose cover version of uh, David Bowie's Heroes plays out. Yeah, that's bad. The music choice is bad. The showing the real what, like the biggest impact. Like I've seen a lot of these films and I do like them where it's a real story then fictionalized for for cinema. And, you know, the actors play the parts. And then at the end of the film, you see the real characters and you see what they're doing now. And that is the and that kind of brings it home about the reality of the story. And so that is almost the most powerful bit can be the most powerful bit of a film. And it's just how you deal with that. So, yes, that is a good thing that he put those in and the photos of the people that died and the real uh, soldiers involved. But then your choice of heroes by David Bowie, a cover version, you know, that's the schmaltzy element that I think they've. That is a bit of a misstep for me. Fair enough. Well, Mark Wahlberg is the uh, the star of this uh, particular movie, and Dara and I kind of we've you know along with being uh, both being movie fans, we're, also, we're both music fans. So uh, as part of this review, we've uh, we've taken a look back at uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg's music career. So uh, for those of you who don't know, in the uh, early nineties. Uh, 
uh, Wahlberg headed up Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, who uh, released two hip-hop-flavoured albums in the uh, early 90s. And uh, Dara, you know, you went back and investigated some of those uh, some of those songs. What did you make of uh, Wahlberg's uh, music career? Yeah, I went I went down a right royal uh, YouTube rabbit hole. Uh, the other day and uh, it's amazing the things that you can uh, find out about people old interviews and what have you so like a number of things we'll, we'll stick i'll stick with the music start with the music and then we can talk about a few other bits and pieces so marky mark i think it's fair to say he's a working class guy you know boston kind of irish american background um was in a gang so you could have some street credentials you know when he was in his teens some of his raps aren't actually that bad i quite big rap <laughs> I'm quite a big rap fan myself. I listen to a lot of a uh, lot of different stuff from over the years, and one or two of it. There was one tr- one track of his in a sort of uh, Eric B and Rakim flow, which was I thought was quite good. But I I actually I went a bit further into his career because after I think he <laughs> he he uh, his rap career didn't actually you know end so well, and then he was picked up by uh, end up doing a collaboration with a European reggae musician, <laughs> Prince Itel Joe. <laughs> and had a had a number one in Germany, unbelievably, with his song Un uh, United. Everyone's kind of... everyone's had a number one in Germany, Dara. Hey, United. <laughs> uh, he he had uh, along with uh, Hassel uh, Hasselhoff. Yeah, he uh, it's kind of a mix of uh, sort of gospel influenced Euro dance with a, a bit of slash of Mr. Vane involved in any fans of culture beat in the house which yeah went, amazingly went to number one so um you gotta give this guy credit you know he's not he's like a he's like a cockroach you know any bad things he does he just keeps on coming back and he's successful in so many ways and he's very motivated you know any like a lot of people what is the guy from culture beat doing now probably stacking shelves in tesco but Mark Wahlberg sold, sold that. My music career is not going well. I'm going to be a, an actor. And look at him now. Highest paid earner in Hollywood. Mm, that is indeed. Now, when you were looking at, uh, you know, going down this YouTube rabbit hole, Dara, uh, you, I'm, I'm presume you must have watched some of the videos to some of his old songs. And, you know, were you struck by the fact that most of his uh, videos feature him bare chested, covered in baby oil, going, yeah, a lot? Yeah, a lot. He, he liked a baseball cap, liked a basketball vest. I actually watched a really interesting uh, interview on the word. Uh, so, do you remember Danny Bear? Mm. So, your non UK visitors might not know Danny Bear. She was a model stroke television presenter on a early 90s cult music and current affairs sort of uh, show. <laughs> I wouldn't the call the word current affairs. Okay, but what, sort of music and culture. That's about as far as you can go music with that. Music and culture. Music and culture, which was. A, absolutely amazing uh, i used to watch it religiously and i think a lot of people my age used to watch it uh, had a, like a different guest presenters on there and uh, he's on there being interviewed by danny bear and so he's very young at this point i think he must be like 1920 and he's just signed a deal with calvin klein to do his to model their underwear so that is why you see him constantly shirtless in his pants because he's really he's kind of cross pollinating his brand so the, the guy from an early age is you know, very business savvy. He knows how to sort of work the business. And uh, yeah, it was it's quite funny watching him on the word talking mm. about women he's had sex with at that age. Because <laughs> goes, she goes, uh, you know, why is it like same question? Why is it we, you know we always have to see you in your pants? You know? <laughs> he goes, yeah, you know, it's difficult for someone who has you know sex with so so many women to have to do this. But you know, it's uh, he, he the crowd sort of had a mixed reception to him. Let's put it like that. Okay. 
Well, you liked his uh, gospel-influenced Eurodance uh, music. Uh, I, for myself, when I went down the uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch uh, rabbit hole, uh, I listened to uh, quite, a, quite a lot of his tracks. Uh, the one that stood out for me, uh, probably, that I would suggest is, a, is worth a bit of a, a, a dip into, is uh, On a House Tip. So, I mean, Dara, as a survivor of the early 90s, I don't know if you remember that uh, house music and hip-hop had a kind of brief shotgun marriage and the kind of like hip house yeah the sort of the hip (laughs) the sort of hip house movement so yeah uh he did uh so marky mark kind of uh obviously he was uh, essentially rap hip-hop he kind of decided to sort of dip his toe into the hip house movement recorded on a house tip and so this song uh, it kind of uh, much like some of it of uh marky mark's better songs it basically takes some solid gold samples which you just can't complain about and then mm. sticks marky mark over the top of it so this what song one's this one? what one's this um one? it's got a kind of old uh it's got a house track called uh move your body by marshall jefferson yes no, um no. it's got uh, a drum loop from uh lynn collins think which okay. used yeah. on a million we know, tracks we all know that one yeah, yeah. And it's got a little sample from Jungle Brothers, I'll House You. And I mean, those are all great, great songs. And if you chop up little bits of them, put them together, it's very hard to rearrange them in a way that doesn't sound awful. And uh, yeah, that was probably the, uh, that was the, of all the tracks that I did, I I went back and listened to, that was the one that stood out for me. Did you not like Wild Side? Uh, I did, but I kind of feel everyone's wrapped over that loping Lou Reed beat by now. Actually, we could just put that. You could put that sample through this through this whole podcast. I'm probably going to have to pay like a royalty now to Lou Reed's estate now because you've hummed too many seconds of that. Now, what I what I've done is I changed it by a, a semitone different, so uh, it's actually not the same. So it's fine. I, we can do that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. So get ready to hit the skip button now. On the Simplistic Reviews podcast, we talk movies. We talk TV. We talk. Hello, Julie, what the heck are you doing? Trying to make our spots sound more exciting by adding explosions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you could have got the point across with sound effects, not the real thing. Download the show on iTunes or at simplisticreviews.blogspot.com. I'm sure your insurance company will cover that. No, they won't. No, they probably won't. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. Our favourite casualty of war occurs when a big Boeing CH-64 Chinook helicopter is scrambled for a rescue mission. It flies out to a mountain where Wahlberg and his team are trapped by the Taliban, but before reinforcements can be dropped off, one of the Afghans fires an RPG. The missile flies straight inside the back of the Whirlybird via the open loading ramp. Soldiers dodge out of the way as the rocket flies down the centre of the cargo hold. Hitting the cockpit, it kabooms and completely severs the front of the chopper. The dismembered helicopter falls to the ground and explodes. Dara, what did you make of this exploding helicopter? I really like this. Really, really good one, this one. In keeping with the action in this film, which is excellent. Uh, I like the fact that we don't often see one of these Chinooks get downed. That's uh, unusual. It looked really realistic. Obviously, can't they can't have actually blown one of these things up. But what I really liked is like the Chinook is such a big helicopter. I've never seen it where the actual looks like the head, the front bit, the cockpit mm. of the helicopter splits away, blows it up away, still intact, but away from the rest of the fuselage, like a fly's head being taken <laughs> off a fly's body. And that kind of falls down in a separate fiery explosion. Um, 
beautiful. I really liked it. I think it was a the way that I think we've had it before where we've had a, a rocket go through the interior of a helicopter, but because they're so small, most of them, it kind of does, you mm. know, it's two seconds and it hits the back. But this one sort of takes it goes a bit longer. You see the, the whole, uh, uh, the whole, it all tumbles down the hillside. Really fantastic. Really thought this was a A grade explosion. Well, you're right. We do get to see several unique things here because. I think this is the only Chinook helicopter that I've yet logged uh, in the Exploding Helicopter Project. Oh, wow. I, I went I went back through the records and I couldn't find uh, another film with an exploding uh, Chinook helicopter in it. I mean, I may have I mean, when you know I've got over 350 films now on my radar with exploding helicopters in. You know, I don't my ailing memory is not what it used to be. So I I I, I you know I may have missed one, but yeah, I really. I went back through the records. I couldn't find another Chinook helicopter that's exploded, which is very bizarre because they're pretty standard military type of helicopter. I, you know, there must be some other films out there that have uh, blown these up, but uh, Lone Survivor definitely is in a uh, small minority of movies that has uh, exploited the explosive capabilities of that particular uh, helicopter. And as you say, we get to see the missile traveling for a short time inside the helicopter itself. That is uh, very different from uh, from most of them. Normally, it's just an impact on the side. And yeah, as you say, the way in which the front of that helicopter, you know, falls off is uh, yeah another exemplary, unique touch. Yeah, I think maybe we don't see it because these helicopters are much harder to maneuver, and they're probably a lot more expensive to get your mitts on. Uh, I'm not sure you just rent one out. So that might be that the mm. reason why, and and they're sort of striving to make this as realistic as possible. They it wouldn't have been. Uh, acceptable just to pitch yeah. up in some some little helicopter that you change the livery on um so that's maybe why we're seeing it for the first time but yeah very exciting this was a unexpectedly good one you also get to see one of my favorite exploding helicopter tropes which is uh, pilots despairingly at the controls of their stricken whirly bird uh, so you get to see there's a few shots of that always like to see that and yeah. uh, there's also uh, another action movie trope where eric banner gets to yell rpg which is uh you know a, a kind of classic trope of any action movie always love it i'd love someone to just to pop up in the high street with an rpg so i can just sort of shout that at passers-by i'd like to see you in a war situation will <laughs> I'd, li- I'd like to see what, what would, would that be the making of you uh i don't know if, if it could go either way it could go if, either way if watching lone survivor convinced me of one thing is that i never want to be in a conflict <laughs> really you'll be, the, you'll be the eric banner character barking out orders from his ivory tower that's where you would be and then and then being killed after making an ineffective contribution to the war effort a bad decision (laughs) and punished for it but before we uh, before we uh, finish up on this section we should probably also give a a shout out to the the director of this movie because uh, both you and i are very positive about the exploding helicopter that we've seen in this movie and peter berg has one of the you know also on his cv is one of the greatest exploding helicopter movies of all time because he directed the uh, board game adaptation battleship which features a record-breaking eight exploding helicopters the most that have ever been put on screen in one single film so you know peter berg he is a man that we need to salute i never understood how they could make a film a two-hour film about people putting plastic pegs in 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 holes how did they get how did they get the green light for that i i don't know and after watching the film i don't know either I might be getting it confused with something else. Uh, yeah, so we salute him. He, he's obviously a fan 
of the exploding helicopter. And for that alone, we should uh, doff our caps. Okay, I think our mission on this podcast is complete. Dara, as we're reviewing Lone Survivor, I don't think it's right for both of us to make it to the end of this show. So uh, how do you want to go out? Do you want to step on a landmine? Sniper's bullet to the head? A hamburger on a toilet. Thank you. (laughs) I was hoping that uh, you'd choose to sort of slowly bleed out from a shrapnel wound. (laughs) Honestly, I think I've got tuberculosis right now, so I'll be dead soon. Don't worry about it. On that reassuring note, I think we're going to end things. We probably don't say this enough on Exploding Helicopter, but thanks for listening. We know that you don't have to, and we know you're only with us until you find a better podcast. But while you're with us, we're... There is no better podcast. (laughs) This is the best podcast. What are you talking about? You you really aren't... You really don't listen to... This is the only podcast that exists. There's only, like, two podcasts on the internet, and we're one of them, aren't we? Will? Hello? You keep thinking that, Dara. I don't want you you, uh, guesting on anywhere else, so... uh... Yeah, keep thinking that. Well, I, you know what? I think we're going to be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. I'm a hard-bodied, hairy-chested, rootin', tootin', shootin', parachutin', demolition, double-cap, crimpin' frogman. There ain't nothing I can't do, no sky too high, no sea too rough, no muff too tough. Learned a lot of lessons in my life. Never shoot a large caliber man with a small caliber bullet. Drive all kinds of trucks. Two buys, four buys, six buys. Those big that bend and go when you step on the brakes. Anything in life worth doing is worth overdoing. Moderation's for cowards. I'm a lover, I'm a fighter. I'm a UDT Navy SEAL diver. I'll wine, dine, intertwine, then sneak out the back door when the refueling is done. So if you're feeling froggy, then you better jump because this frogman's been there, done that, and is going back for more. Cheers, boys. (laughs) 